Imagine spending eight years aboard a floating laboratory of sorts, having the ability to refine your craft and accumulate over three and a half thousand hours of coaching. Up to the year 2001, um, where I was the executive coach to a cruise fleet. And what that meant was I, I packed my bags, I went away to sea um, 80 days a year uh, across four ships. And those ships would have 1,200 crew and maybe 3,000 passengers on board. And I was invited to work one-on-one with anyone who led a team. The people working on the ship were Filipino, Indian, Pakistani, um, Eastern Europeans, uh, as well as people from the UK and, and many parts of the world in a very closed community. It was a tremendous privilege to spend time uh, with over 750 clients for about three and a half thousand hours. And I, I often say that truly was a laboratory for me. Welcome to the Curious Coach Podcast. So buckle up as we travel around and explore the world of coaching. Here's your host and professional coach, Stephen Clements. This month, I was honoured to interview Karen Dean. Karen isn't just an amazing MCC coach. She's also an author, creator of an online coach supervision app and a really interesting human being. Not only that, if you listen to the very end of this podcast, You'll also get a special bonus where Karen reads a story from her latest book that she co-authored with Sam Humphrey, Coaching Stories. So without further ado, let me hand it over to Karen to introduce herself. So I'm Karen Dean and I work as an executive coach. I'm a master certified coach accredited by the International Coach Federation and I've been doing this work for a about 28 years now and um, and I'm quoting some statistics here so in over 90 organizations across 22 sectors worldwide so anything from uh, lawyers and bankers to heavy manufacturing um, to government lots of change yeah the, 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 even just in that introduction there were so many so many things and I suppose maybe the one thing you left out is is author as well. Indeed, and and I think uh, I'm certainly an author, and uh, and had a book published in February this year with my colleague Sam Humphrey, and in fact I put author at the beginning of my LinkedIn profile now because it speaks very strongly to increasingly my way of being and when I'm most in flow, which is. Um, interesting because that word is in our title so it's coaching stories flowing and falling of being a coach mm, I certainly think look forward to jumping more into into the book but I suppose the other thing I just wanted to go back to was you've been coaching for 28 years and are now an MCC coach so if my maths works out correctly you were coaching for eight years before even the ICF was formed. Indeed, Mm. um, most certainly. And 
in that period of time, the sorts of training that I was exposed to were more uh, neuro-linguistic programming based. And, and although now I, as a non-directive coach, I certainly wouldn't use some of the prescribed processes. I know there are key principles that have stayed with me all of that time in really paying attention to the individual, respecting their unique qualities and beliefs and listening carefully to language and what that might enable in my questioning um, that is appropriate as they seek an outcome. So um, I found that very valuable. And prior to that, I was doing a self-esteem approach um, as well. And so I've been forever learning and experiencing. But I really welcome what is becoming an increasingly professional approach. And that's certainly expected, I think, in the, in the marketplace now, um, that ultimately to have supervision, to be able to demonstrate continuing professional development, um, to have a credential that allows one to um, underpin the, the qualities that we bring as individual coaches. I think is important in continuing ethically and credibly. Mm. And I suppose on the on the point of being, I suppose I find myself being curious. How are how are you being different now as a coach compared to twenty eight years ago? I think twenty eight years ago I was incredibly anxious about being perfect, and and wanting to do it right and having very high expectations of myself and probably therefore others, um, which may have looked like success, but didn't necessarily give another person any particularly great experience of being with me. And although there were some that would resonate with that approach and that was fine, tick that box, but um, I think didn't give me the flexibility that I believe I have now. But my approach now and when um, I was working with teams for over 22 years and it came to a moment when I would be in a room with a team of 10 or 12 people, um, remember their names incredibly quickly and use them wisely and, and would find something in every individual that allowed me to respect, connect and feel some degree of joy or excitement about that person. And that is very enabling and enable everyone to feel connected, part of the group, welcome, valued, and that they have a place. Mm-hmm. And so whether it's with a group or with an individual, I think that's important to me. I think, and in the last, a uh, couple of years is the opportunities to write. And uh, because Sam and I, when we first met, uh, worked together professionally and then decided we'd write an article, um, which we did for Coaching at Work magazine. And uh, that article was, Is a Coaching Culture an Alternative Tyranny? And in fact, we won an award for the best feature article that year and were shortlisted in our article that we submitted the following year and decided, well, maybe we know how to write and perhaps we should go ahead and, and be brave and, and 
work with the book, um, which has now come to fruition. So the reason I'm raising that is it speaks to unlocking a creativity, more peacefulness, um, tremendous joy. Um, I'm deeply grateful for the opportunity to do that. And it speaks to my my values and my way of being now. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I suppose what just struck me was when we were talking earlier, um, you had mentioned about moving away from team coaching into more one-on-one. And I was struck again by then actually the solitude of writing a book. It's bringing it down even to a more personal level, is it? Mm. And in writing the stories, it's as if they flow through me and time stands still, which sounds like a cliche, but it's true. And and I often find that when I step back and read again what I've just written, that there's very little that I change. So there's a permission to just accept what is and to to allow that space to be as as broad, as deep, um, as terrifying and as rewarding as whatever it might be and, um, and allow that flow. And I certainly want to continue writing and write more. And I think the one-on-one work for me also speaks to increasingly working in the supervision space. So I've greatly valued my own supervision um with a wonderful woman uh, who has been at the center of several transformations that I've had in these past years and I think the opportunity for transformation and deep deep learning in supervision um, is probably underestimated and, and I believe that's because of the systemic nature of what you're together standing back as colleagues and looking at in the work. And what is it that that's touching in the coach? And how is that relevant if that still feels a little strange or disturbing and even seems like a topic that one might bring? So um, I, I want to do more and more supervision as well as the writing. So I heard you ask me about being solitary. Um, Immediately you said that I was remembering that I was an only child until I was 10 years old. And then my sister was born. And, uh, and I was just so excited about her being there. But of course, found my, uh, my role as a teenager was very much being like a second mum. And, and having a tremendous amount of responsibility for her. And uh, she was far from introverted. She was just, she's like a lion or a firecracker and uh, was quite a handful for me to, to be with. We're incredibly close uh, now and, and we respect each other's capacity to have such different roles in our families and, uh, and together on behalf of of our parents. So um, I love that she's in my life, but there were many, many hours of 
of playing inside my own head and pretending to ride horses and galloping up and down and uh, creating characters and uh, and different adventures. And I suppose I'm curious in terms, you mentioned the courage piece and the transformation. Where's, for you, where's the source of that courage that's driving you to those transformations? In writing the flowing and falling stories, um, it matters to me equally that I celebrate, notice, bear witness, build on, strengthen, growing confidence from when it works as much as learning from the times when it didn't. And from being a small child, I always seem to be able to notice when that worked and that was okay. Let me keep going. I think I had quite challenging characters around me, but ultimately I always found a way to influence everyone. And, uh, and that took a lot of courage. I'm from um, a mining background in Nottinghamshire and my mother was one of 10 and I was exposed to many uh, of the aunts and, and uncles in her family. And, uh, and with my grandmother looking after me when I was growing up and they were formidable women. And, uh, and in order to both be hypervigilant to keep myself on track, um, it made me very aware, but touching courage, but I think it began very early. Mm. It sounds like you've carried that through then to today in the book. Yeah. And you know, to come on to the book in, in terms of the, the two pieces, the flowing and falling. Um, yeah, what was the inspiration for, for the approach that you took in the, in the book and how you've split it up into the various sections, I guess? I think Sam and I are both supervisors and we were looking at the books that are out there and were curious. So where are the stories that bear witness, uh, that normalize, that encourage, that shine a light on a way forward and felt that it was important to offer something about what it's like being a coach, what is a version of the pathway, um, rather than to focus more fully on specific how-tos. And so we decided that would be our approach and speaks to our purpose. And in doing so, we learned so much and so many stories told, closed chapters, offered healing for us in our writing and we we really hope that that's an experience that others have and that they can read in one sitting or dip in and out or come back to and I think there are profound pieces of learning embedded within the stories but that are not explicitly named but are available um, for coaches. Yeah and what I've find what I get from the book is every time I pick it up, I get something different. And in particular, it's not just the stories, but it's also then the the questions that follow each story about what you wish somebody had told you and what you wish you had had asked. And yeah, it's 
yeah it's really profound in terms of getting out of it what you need at that moment mm. and and that structure um, enabled us to really crystallize so what was all that about and how would we name it mm. um, and and you asked where the structure came from um, and I'm wondering whether I might tell the story of um, a particular piece of work that I did for um, eight years up to the year 2001, um, where I was the executive coach to a cruise fleet. And what that meant was I, I packed my bags, I went away to sea um, 80 days a year uh, across four ships. And those ships would have um, 1,200 crew, uh, maybe 3,000 passengers on board. And I was invited to work one-on-one -on -one with anyone who led a team. So, of course, that may have been a captain or could have been a chief engineer, but equally it was a garbage supervisor or um, a bartender or a head waiter. And the people working on the ship were Filipino, Indian, Pakistani, um, Eastern Europeans, uh, as well as people from the UK and, and many parts of the world in a very closed community. And for some of the crew, they're on board for nine months, um, pretty much without a break, and in very close confines, both with their colleagues and shipmates, as well as um, enabling people to go on holiday and feel welcome and the processes of what's involved in, in that and moving a ship from A to B. So it was a tremendous privilege to spend time uh, with over 750 clients for about three and a half thousand hours. And I, I often say that truly was a laboratory for me. And I have great curiosity. I'm, I'm eager to understand more. And I also like to make sense of what I'm hearing. So a structure evolved that was a closed system in my mind of what happens when it's going brilliantly well and what happens when things are missing and in, in what general order do those things emerge. And crystallized from that um, enabled us to name the 12 phases in the book moving from novice to mastery. Mm -hmm. And we've also put in four sections for even further simplification. So that's setting out, doing, um, integrating, and being a coach and, um, and all speak to that model. Yeah, it's, wow. Because <laughs> this was up to 2001? Yeah. Yeah, so coaching as a profession was still like it's still in its infancy but yeah. back then it must have been a, a very different place and the awareness that that people would have of coaching at that time must have been very interesting and and you're talking of courage i think the um the the people from the organization um, and one individual particularly was very courageous in saying 
this might be a really helpful way of supporting um, the crew and, uh, and giving them an opportunity to be heard. And they committed and I went back time and again. I think the only reason that it stopped was a 9-11 had happened and um, people weren't flying to the, port, the ports in the US and uh, they had to review their budgets and I had been a very significant budget for them. Um, but curiously at the same time, I think eight years is quite a long time. Mm -hmm. And in a natural cycle, I think I was probably coming to the end of of that and was perhaps open to opportunities of attracting in other and different work. But I was working with many other clients at the same time. So um, it wasn't just them. I just came and went up the gangway. I suppose I'm, I'm, I'm back to that transformation. It was time for you to transform and take that learning and go on. Indeed. And perhaps if you hadn't, we wouldn't have had the, the joy of the book today. No, indeed, mm. indeed. And I'm also struck by how back then you were really ahead of the curve in terms of that, I was thinking coaching culture, but it's also really the way company cultures are going today mm, mm. and that it is more multinational. Um, teams are more diverse, um, not just in terms of gender, but also in terms of countries and ethnicity and everything else and yeah so you 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 were already doing back then what the way work has gone now today so it must be really interesting to see see today what maybe you had learned back then mm. and uh, as you're talking i'm i'm struck by something very particularly which i i would say to them which is um, regardless of the stripes on your shoulder or the uniform that you're wearing, they're just markers of the responsibilities and, and role that you have on board this ship. But you are the provider of this service and everything that you bring to it um, is made and evolved from you and how you find your way of doing this is incredibly important and we used to talk a lot about self-esteem and inclusion and influencing other shipmates and trying to work with hierarchies um, breaking through into new more senior roles that were untrodden ground perhaps for some groups and um, and also the role of women on board so um, the variety of topics that would come to me. I had no idea what was walking through the cabin door, but um, tremendous variety. And, and I think that's really relevant. And I'm particularly heartwarming for me is uh, remembering a, a comment that uh, one of the ship leaders said to me. Uh, and he said, uh, we, we know who's been Karen-deaned. Um, and and after that eight years um, that I had made a significant impact on the culture of the way the ships ran. And I have no idea whether that's true or it's not, but the fact that that individual saw fit to share a comment like that with me um, 
was really lovely. And of course, some people absolutely hated the fact that they were going to come sit in a room with me and they were free not to do so. So um, that was fine. And uh, but I was never going to be um, flavor of the month for everyone and nor what I was setting out to do for them didn't feel right or appropriate. But for those that it did, uh, then there were some good outcomes. What popped into my head was the the fact that you never knew what was going to walk, who was going to walk through the door and what they were going to bring. And I suppose that's maybe one of the challenges for new coaches starting out in terms of you've done the training, you're a professional coach, you can coach any anybody on anything, but yet there's always the advice about finding your niche. Yeah. I was just really curious what's What's your view on, on that? The second article that uh, Sam and I wrote was um, a bit of a throwback, really. Martini coaching, anytime, anyplace, anywhere. Um, which on the one hand, celebrating that one can coach the person, but that professionally people exist in a context. And so awareness of the context and the system may be significant too. So we were talking particularly to um, the law fraternity, for example, where they have spent many years building their technical competency and, and are suddenly sitting with a coach wondering, so where are their credentials and how, are, how might I trust them or what respect do I have for this woman who's just been uh, invited to be my coach and I'm evaluating whether I want to work with her or not. So I think awareness of context without allowing that to drive the conversation and then real rigor around the contract that's being set up is really important. And, and holding on to um, and trusting the process the process is there as a framework and to give guidance on where and how one might get to a particular place. But the artistry and what is co-created between the coach and the client in that moment is open to move wherever is right for that time. And that's the exciting, inspiring thing about coaching, I think. And... Um, and knowing that it doesn't always go the way you want it to go. And again, that's something that's been co-created, something that's triggered in both of you, that you suddenly begin to project um, on each other um, or find yourself reminded of a, a previous situation that at some level hijacks. So staying open, trusting, work with the process and increasingly believe in one's capacity to be with that other person, endlessly curious, seeking a future outcome and believing in the client's capability, resources and capacity to get there. Mm. And I think that probably brings us nicely on to those times when, when it doesn't go the way you might like it to or something comes up and you mentioned earlier about supervision mm -hmm. yeah so 
I suppose at what point did you become interested in supervision and, and training as a supervisor and going down that path? Actually, the, the training was five years ago. Um, so I had my own supervisor for quite a while before then, but the timing never seemed quite right. And and then there was just a moment of, do you know what? This is what I'd really love to do. And I'm really glad that I did. And, and it's been very, very nourishing, very challenging. I think the approach of supervision to stand back and look at what's actually going on to find names and structures for that, um, to be explicit about resonances or a psychological model as to how that makes sense of it is such a different approach from the coaching. But I consistently use uh, Trudy Newton's um, model and in her work with Hilary Cochran um, to guide my practice and to review what I'm doing and how I'm evolving. And Trudy's model, the, um, the supervision triangle, is speaking to how the supervisor might pay attention to the, the management, the processes and the ethics of a coach's practice. Of course, be there to stimulate, um, provoke the development but equally to hold the coach at the level of who they are as a coach and to honour what is to be celebrated and to support them when they're struggling or, or taking less time to care for themselves. Because ultimately, sitting in front of the client, we have the opportunity to be positive models of how it can be. And, and if we're not preparing well, caring for, managing our time so that we're not overworked, um, if, that we're not hydrated or eating properly or exercised or have vent to our curiosity and our creativity, then I, I believe we're missing an opportunity to be an even better coach and have that positive parallel mm-hmm. that, that supports, guides and enables the practice. And how did then um, meandmycoach.com come about? Ah, meandmycoach.com goes back to that work on the ship. Um, So, and all of those points inside my head, 60 something uh, closed loop in the system that I know and I have labels for and language for and a sense of of the... uh, the flow and the logic of that um, enabled me to write the algorithm behind me, my coach. And we talked of after eight years walking away and time for something new and different. I was so driven by the idea of what on earth am I going to do with everything that I've been learning here? And a very particular client said to me once, how might you offer to a much wider audience, the knowledge, skills, and experience you've been building, because that's not going to go where it might possibly go if it's one conversation at a time. And let me be clear, I'm very respectful of change one conversation at a time, otherwise I wouldn't have done it for as long as I have. 
but as technology has enabled new and different learning, um, has opened up the world, and coaching is spanning the world, then I wanted to create Me My Coach as an online framework that was a generous offering, um, available 24-7, unlimited use for a year, that was a place where a coach can go in, actively reflect on a specific coaching conversation, what was happening for them and what were they experiencing and how might that help them evaluate the level of their competency and to track their progress when they do it differently, to be offered coaching questions in the framework that enable their learning and and give them the chance to do it better next time Mm -hmm. and know how they grew and know what they did. So it isn't a replacement for supervision. It's a way of keeping on track or preparing well for supervision. And if I just take a moment to say that matters to me because investing in a supervisor is significant for many coaches and to get the best return in the valuable time you have with your supervisor, the preparation before you get to that supervision conversation is so important. And if you can reflect, understand what was what, where it came from, and in the end distill, what's the core supervision question I want to take to this conversation? That's when, in half an hour or an hour, you might find transformation. So... Um, it's the responsibility of of keeping oneself on track and to be able to dip in and out and use as much or as little of, of the framework as feels appropriate at any time. So, and it now it's available now, which is lovely. Mm-hmm. So that's another way of of offering, of sharing, of um, leaving something in our profession, I suppose. Yeah, and it, it's. I'm struck by how the connections between all the transformation pieces and how it's layering on all all your being up to each point and then building on top of that, um, which is lovely. Thank you. And yeah, uh, the supervision piece, like I, I know I found starting out as a as a new coach, spreading spreading your wings into the world for the first time, it can be quite daunting. Yeah. But having the fact that you have a supervisor and you have somewhere to go so that you're not alone is, is really, really important. And certainly I, I find it really important um, for me anyway. Yeah. And I think that step just beyond the classroom um, and working with peers and being with live clients can be overwhelming sometimes and that's part of what inspired me and also for internal coaches to have an opportunity to come together learn together and build a common language around uh, around how they're growing and what does that mean and uh, and what themes does it reflect I think is also important any chance we get to step back, examine, learn and grow has to be useful. So 
I suppose I'm curious then in terms of where's next for Karen? Um, more writing, more supervision, and more choiceful in my coaching. And uh, in, in the writing at the moment, I'm writing articles for three different publications, which is great. And, um, and I definitely want to write another book. And Sam and I um, have arrangements in place to record an audio book where I can read my stories, Sam can read hers. And uh, that, that's going to be great. I am really fascinated and I'm so struck and, and want to celebrate you um, creating the podcast, Stephen, really, because uh, so many young people are, find a podcast such a great way to take in information, to be able to reflect and learn. And, you know, and quite clearly reading a book isn't everyone's favorite thing to do. So an audio book, I think, is probably important. But... I had an opportunity today to sit and read a couple of stories to a group of coaches who are all learning their craft. And it's one of my favorite things to do is to read out loud. And um, it was just so beautiful to, to have a live audience in the moment responding and, and resonating and reflecting on their practice and what's stimulated by the words. So. I would like to do more um, speaking and uh, being available to that sort of audience too. And I, I, I love how you're embracing new technology and new ways of reaching the audience, you know, through the website and your app and the audiobook. So lots of exciting things. Yeah. So I'd just like to, to say thank you for for your time today and, and sharing your journey and the wisdom that you've gathered along the way and could i ask could we maybe finish with a a story oh i'd love to thank you thank you Stephen. i'm going to read a chapter called talent and take a particularly resonant falling story um, that i want to share with other coaches who might be listening and the chapter title Talent has an intention of noticing evolution beyond technique, celebrating the unique approach. Falling. In my earlier coaching work, the sponsor in an organization would come to me with a request to coach a specific number of people. I would be coaching every person the sponsor had built a relationship with me and trusted the connection. Very often, a sponsor had very little understanding of coaching, yet he or she believed it worked. A coach should be able to work with anyone, was the received wisdom at that time, and that was okay then. The coaching offers gradually became more sophisticated. Credentialing evolved in pursuit of quality professional practice and the mechanism of commission shifted. Increasingly, internal human resource HR professionals trained as coaches or had an interest in coaching 
the more experienced of them who wanted to embrace coaching and to have a more integrated coaching culture took on the role of broker. The HR professional would interview prospective coaching clients to determine the client's goals, their style and preferences. They had taken on the task of allocating a particular coach from an external panel. This attended to the presenting or perceived need. Remedial coaching was more prevalent then and the client did not always come voluntarily. Sometimes it was thought that they needed a coach, which was a very different proposition. The coaching profession moved on again and the concept of the chemistry session became increasingly common. It certainly was in the coaching circles in which I moved. This was where a prospective client was given the opportunity to meet two or three potential coaches, which put the client in the driving seat. They could choose the coach with whom they connected the most. Each individual client had their own mechanism for making a choice. Sometimes the client would choose a coach with a similar style, someone who felt familiar. Alternatively, others would find someone they perceived to be very different from themselves, a coach whom they felt would present the most provocative challenge. In the chemistry session, how could a coach discern the secret of the client's process? The client was the expert on their experience. I had certainly been told this repeatedly. It seemed that every coach had equally varied ways of conducting a chemistry session. I began to understand more about this phenomenon in chatting with fellow coaches, either socially or as we shared our process in supervision groups, some of the mastery and mystery was revealed. There was typically a sense of the coach winning or losing the coaching assignment with the predictable consequences from this frame of thinking. The coach really gave the client an experience of what it might be like to be coached by them. It seemed to be much more about whether the client liked the coach or whether they were good enough, which was an even more problematic mindset. I've been evolving my own coaching philosophy and model I was increasingly in touch with my capacity to clarify, simplify, and be compassionately direct. I was offering my creative, intuitive, flexible interventions in flow with my clients. This felt precious to me, and I was proud of my progress. I was invited to meet a potential client. The sponsor had described him to me as a maverick, in the organization, very different from their cultural norm. He had been recruited to bring his difference. HR believed there would be value in offering him a coach who would partner with him to integrate well, while retaining his refreshing perspective. The chemistry session was about to begin. I was sitting smartly in my suit with the best matching blouse I was breathing out slowly and for prolonged moments. This always relaxed my diaphragm and indeed my whole body. 
I took the time to fill my lungs with air that flooded my brain with oxygen. I wanted to be good enough on top of my game. Tucked in the top of my capacious handbag was a shawl. It had a pattern of medium-sized circles regularly arranged in two tones of blue. My eyes are blue. This shawl was a gift from my mother, who a few months before had died of breast cancer. This man could be a great client from a prestigious organisation. I wanted this assignment, and in a moment of superstition, I'd picked up that shawl, believing that it would somehow connect me to my mum, my good luck charm, my secret weapon, my comfort blanket, my passport to success. The client appeared and made his way towards me. I saw him smile warmly and then glance at my bag. His eyes briefly took in the shawl and it seemed as if something seismic shifted in him. His handshake was non-committal, his eye contact brief. In that moment, I felt I knew that he had already decided I was certainly not the coach for him. We politely played out the chemistry meeting. I was absolutely not communicating who I was, what I stood for, how I worked, or what a bright, creative spark I was. I was unconvincing of my flexibility, spontaneity, or intuitive talents. It was a complete waste of time. Of course, I don't know whether I'm right, but it was my experience. There was such an irony in him having no sense of who I truly was as a coach because I didn't offer it. I sensed the predictable regularity of the boring blue and white shawl had stopped him in his tracks and thrown me off mine. This maverick entrepreneur in his new environment would have been a brilliant match. I left the building feeling boring, bruised and bemused. He called me a couple of days later and said, you are clearly a very experienced coach. I've been trying to put my finger on it, but I can't. The chemistry just wasn't there. I've chosen a different coach. I thanked him for his courtesy in feeding back and said, I had a sense that you would do that. I wish you increasing success for the future and I appreciate you taking the time to come back to me in person. What I wish they had told me. Sometimes it's just not meant to be. Let it go. What I wish I had asked. What's your first impression of me? My sincerest thanks to Karen Dean for taking the time out of her day to meet with me and so generously share her own story, experience, and of course, to read the extract from her fabulous book, Coaching Stories. I hope you enjoyed this interview and I'd love to hear your feedback. So please don't hesitate to get in touch by sending me an email to stephen at stephenclements.ie 
and that's Stephen with a PH. Full details of this and all the other episodes can be found on my website at stephenclements.ie forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and until next time, don't forget, stay curious. <laughs>